But the problems that we're seeing and some of the security issues and some of the privacy questions we still have yet to answer, they haven't changed, right? I'm giving the same discussion and same points that I gave to audiences 20 years ago. Please don't click on stuff. Please make sure you read our policy. Please make sure you take the training. Don't open the door for that person if they don't have a badge. It's the same stuff. We, we haven't learned some of the lessons and others we have, but we haven't learned some of them. And it's it's interesting to see how you overlay that now on top of things like GDPR and other privacy acts that are now making their way through what will hopefully be that new normal on the legislative and regulatory side. How are we going to deal with that? And I don't know that we've got really great answers yet. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a free weekly podcast featuring stories from the entrepreneurs and icons of commodities, capital markets, and technology, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we explore the questions, is capitalism in crisis? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast that explores how financial and technology markets can be redesigned and improved to better serve market participants and society as a whole. Smarter Markets is brought to you by ABAX, and I'm Michelle Dennity, your co-host and guide through the intersection of privacy, security, and digital technology. Today, I welcome Tim McCrate to the program for Identikit Sequence X, a series examining the evolution of digital identity and how self-sovereign identity specifically can help bring trust and privacy back into a consent-based economy. Tim is currently the Managing Director of Enterprise Security at CP Rail and the former Chief Security Officer for the City of Calgary and Chief Information Security Officer at the Government of Alberta. As a self-proclaimed enterprise security risk management evangelist, he has almost 40 years of proven experience designing and implementing security programs using a risk-based, business-focused approach. He clearly started in grade school. Stay tuned. My conversation with Tim McCrate is coming up next. And now back to this week's episode of Smarter Markets. Hello, 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 everyone. Please welcome my guest, Tim. You've heard a little bit of his, his kind of formal background in the intro, but Tim, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself, Saw. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Hi, everybody. Yeah, my name is Tim McCrate. I have surpassed 40 years in the security industry, and thankfully, we're not on video, so you can't see the gray hair. But no, I uh, I got out of the Air Force in 1981, and the first job I took was this uh, a security guard job in a hotel in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Wow. Yeah, scary. What was that like? So I, I learned a whole bunch of cool things about the security industry, mostly how to kick out drunk curlers from the hotel lobby and to ask people who were booking hotel rooms by the hour to please pay up for the evening. That was my introduction to physical security at the time. Nice. Well, so I'll, I'll top that story. I didn't realize that we would be kicking off here, but I actually have a, a family <laughs> story. I've got I've got about a billion uh, uncles and, and aunts and cousins, and that's only a small exaggeration. Two of those uncles went up to Alaska when the pipeline was being built, and there were a lot of uh, workers going up there, so it was quite lucrative. And so there's, you had your fishermen, your curlers, and not the hair products, Americans. We're talking about the ice and the broom thing. And so one uncle was the general manager of the hotel, and it was his job to escort the um, working 
men and women, shall we say. And the other one was, I don't know what his official title was, but he was basically taking bribes to let them into the back door. So I, I think this was literally my introduction to physical security and why policies are one thing, but practice is another. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's just crazy. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today, Tim? I mean, security, privacy, data, ethics, where are we now? I mean, it's been a long time since 1981. You know, the next wave of the next 40 years is going to be, I think, equally as challenging and and interesting and probably have slightly better fabrics for our bad fashion. God, I hope so. (laughs) And, And you're right. I mean, I look back every now and then where we were 40 years ago and where we are today. And it scares me that we've seen so much change, yet some things haven't changed. We've seen technology get to the point where it's ubiquitous. Where as, would we have been able to do this 15 years ago? Possibly. Not as well, though, possibly. Yeah. I mean, we could have done it over radio. Right. Yeah, we could have done it over the radio. But right now, the, the technology that's been deployed and what we accept now as normal has been pretty impressive these last 10, 20 years. But the problems that we're seeing and some of the security issues and some of the privacy questions we still have yet to answer, they haven't changed. Right? I'm giving the same discussion and same points that I gave to audiences 20 years ago. Please don't click on stuff. Please make sure you read our policy. Please make sure you take the training. Don't open the door for that person if they don't have a badge. It's the same stuff. We, we haven't learned some of the lessons and others we have, but we haven't learned some of them. And it's it's interesting to see how you overlay that now on top of things like GDPR and other privacy acts that are now making their way through what will hopefully be that new normal on the legislative and regulatory side. How are we going to deal with that? And I don't know that we've got really great answers yet because I'm, I, I've seen some changes, but haven't seen enough. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I think, I think it's a perfect segue into sort of our, our next block of discussion is really about identity and how that fits in. And so there's the identity of you as the manager persona at the front desk. And you've got a, um, training manuals, you've got fiduciary responsibility, you have safety concerns, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the role of the sort of erstwhile playboy at the back of the hotel, maybe taking tips from the young ladies of the night. You have your own rules and and regulations that you're supposed to be doing, but there's a whole lot of humaning going on. And as you say, you know, are you reading this thing? So fine. I've read the the legalese. I still don't really know what to do or the the link that is presented to me portends to be a shopping channel's delivery notice. That's how they busted me in a phishing attack, internal phishing attack once. Yeah. So it was great fun that the chief privacy officer clicked on the link and I was like, hey, (laughs) y'all, you know, Christmas is coming. I I fly around the world, uh, you know, before the pandemic. And, you know, that's how I get gifts for my kids. So I clicked on this thing and they were like, ha ha, we caught you. And, And I thought, well, it's interesting because I think, um, and this is this will turn into a question rather than a rant, but I think what I've seen for the technology industry over the last, you know, 20, 25 years when it comes to identity, when it comes to social policies and, and sort of this hierarchical, read this now, I am your father, Luke, and, and how that has been ineffective because we haven't really tied it to the human. So are we done playing with tech toys and have we started to integrate the requirements 
for humaning within these identity toys? Or will we ever? I mean, that's kind of a big question for the beginning of our chat. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a good place to start because I don't think we're done with the tech toys yet. I, I don't think we're done with the fascination about technology or Great example. How many people still line up for the latest iPhone when it gets released? Crazy. I I know. So, I mean, picture that now in an entire industry that's trying to become a profession from the security perspective. You've got vendors coming to us with, this is the next silver bullet. Well, what happened to the last one? Because that that one didn't work. But, oh, okay, now we got something shiny to do. I had a chance to interview some great folks recently. And one of the a great topic I, I talked about was this technology. And some great quote was that we're... We take technology, throw it up against the wall, hope for the best. And when that doesn't work, go back next year for the next budget and say, now I need to augment what I just put up there. But if the first stuff didn't stick, what are you doing with the second batch of stuff? I don't, this is my fear. We're not there. You know, how do you know? And and we don't, right? We don't. And that, that's it, Michelle, is we don't know because it's, I think we've gotten better at the toys, right? Because we've got some, I'll be honest, we've got some pretty slick technology out there. We've got some some of the tools that we're seeing in, you know, in that the detection and response capability, some of the things we're looking at from the next generation and the next generation of those types of toolkits, it, it's great. IAM is becoming something even more more usable now. We're looking at you have to you have to say IAM, Tim, because we're a cross audience. IAM. Sorry, IAM. Sorry, yeah, my, yeah. My my apologies, right? So it's that Canadian accent that I have, right? So. Identity access management. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He speaks Canadian. I'll, t- I'll interpret. Yeah, I speak Canadian. Sorry, folks. I, yeah. I'm actually wearing a tube just in case people are wondering. Uh, <laughs> I'll take off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, other, the other part is because we've done such a great job with the toys or the technology and we're getting better at that, what we haven't included is the human element. And it's how does, the human in, how does that human react to the situation? How do I look at or at least try to predict the behavior? And I don't think we're there yet. We're getting close, but we're not there yet. And there's some promise with what we're seeing with artificial intelligence and response procedures developed by machine language. But we're not at the point yet where we can actually predict what that chief privacy officer is doing when she was clicking on that shopping link because she travels all around the world. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. But I had to say, like, this is why you have to constantly be vigilant because you can be tired. You can be in some random place and think, oh, dear, I must check or I'm not going to get my Christmas gifts on time. Because the folks who would weaponize the technology against us are equally as clever, if not more clever, about human frailty than necessarily the planners and the designers of this stuff. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on now, Tim, because I'm, I'm pretty excited about the work that you do. And, you know, a spoiler alert, this is a crossover podcast because I'm going to join Tim on his podcast too. I know, and that's what we're looking forward to. So uh, we'll have to make sure we get you on soon, right? Um, but what I'm focusing on right now is this. So I've been on the board of directors for ASAS International for a number of years. And one of the pillars of our approach is Enterprise Security Risk Management, or ESRM. And it's an approach that I've really come to embrace these last 10, 15 years. And many thanks to Rochelle Lawyer and Brian Allen for creating the books that we're using and the actual text to get us to the point where we've generated a guideline, a global guideline, and we're going for standardization through ISO. But what ESRM really is, and it breaks down to something fairly straightforward, but still frightening for many security professionals. Look, we're there to support the business. More importantly, we're there to identify what's the risk facing the business. And then can we work with you to understand how to put mitigating controls in place to reduce the risk, or at least give you the business data to make a knowledgeable decision on the risks that we're facing. And that's on everything from privacy right through to physical and cybersecurity. It's 
it's apparent that this approach has worked well because I've done it for the last 20 some years of my career. And we've snuck it into a couple of different companies. Yeah, we didn't call it ESRM, but we were still doing it. What I like about it is it really gives us the chance as professionals, security professionals, to come back to the business and ask those questions. What is important to you? More importantly, what do you need to be successful every day when you come to work? What do you need to have from an asset perspective, whether it's your people, your property, or your information, and having those in place every day and operating effectively and efficiently? My job now is to find out what's the risk and can I reduce it? And that includes the human element and how a human interacts with all those assets as well. Yeah, I I think I want to pull apart a little bit because I think oftentimes when security people or technology people hear risk, they immediately go into that sort of virtuous cycle of who are the bad guys? How do we get the bad guys? How do we get the bad guys out? And what you talked about, Tim, in in implementing these enterprise risk management schemas is there's got to be an equal and opposing, opposing friction of what are the tools you need to drive forward? So there's a business object driving forward, and it's a little bit different for every kind of organization. There are tools needed, wanted, or desired to make it more efficient, to increase margins, to increase business, to delay customers. And when those two frictions sort of meet in the middle, it produces diamonds, right? It's like there is, there are hard things. There are difficult challenges. There are definitely fault lines in the technology and in the human uh, approach to technology. But if we are juxtaposing and focusing our efforts, I believe, this is my personal bias, but I heard it coming out in your answer is we want to support not just the business. I think that was kind of in vogue for the last five years of like, I'm not Dr. No, I'm here for the business. But the business is not like just a lump of shareholders. Like there are human beings, there are customers, there are employees. So how do you create that virtuous sort of similar velocity and pressure of these two opposing forces? Because when I say risk, I think, why would I dive into a concrete hole well, I wouldn't unless it was full of water and it was summertime and I wanted to swim. So instead of looking at this as a concrete hole problem, why don't we look at this as a sort of family fun swimming adventure? I, and I agree. I mean, and this is where part of the training I've done these last few years is also educating security professionals. And it's been fun when you, as soon as, you know, just to your point, Michelle, the word risk is said in the room and automatically, you know, orifices start to tighten. Exactly. <laughs> More diamonds popping out of everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Folks, do you understand, right, that risk actually has a positive and a negative consequence? And that the definition I love to use for risk, it's from ISO 31000. And yeah, when I'm bored, I, you know, I read ISO standards because I don't have a life. But the definition that I loved was it's the effect of uncertainty on objectives. Not positive or negative, kids, just the effect. And we actually have an opportunity as security professionals to change that impact. And it's on us then to work with the business. But yeah, you're right. I mean, business big lump. I'm going to go talk to the CEO. No, no, you're not. What you're first going to do is go talk to all the business units that you interact with every day. Get to know the business. So in some organizations, and I'm going to be Canadian again here, you would load up your Tim Hortons coffee card, take out a bunch of people every day as often as you can, and go take them for coffee and ask questions. Hey, what do you and your kids do in this part of the business? How do you support the business goals? Hey, what do you got for projects coming up for the next one, three, five years? How can my team help? And that's where we need to spend most of our time, at least at the leadership level. Most of our time should be literally you know, going around 
having coffee with people, learning to, you know, learning about the business unit, asking questions. And then when you see those threads, can I pull on those threads and ask more questions? When can I engage my team to spend time with you to do that risk assessment from an objective perspective? And then look at, yeah, you want to get to this. You want to gain market share by 35%. That's awesome because I'm a shareholder too. Okay, how can I help you get there without literally trashing everything along the way, you know, giving up all hope on privacy and security, but hey, we made our market number. No, let's step back and try to understand how can I help you still achieve that goal, but do it safely and securely, addressing privacy requirements. And then more importantly, can I repeat the process for the next project, for the next project, for the next project? Yeah, and repeating the process requires learning. So I think you're falling into my personal bias, which is I'm always asked if I could buy one security or privacy tool, what would it be? And it, you know, you're tempted to say something identity or role based, blah, blah, blah. But the answer is coffee and pizza and comfortable shoes, because instead of monitoring what your employees are doing by staring at their Zoom cameras, or reading their emails, which is just gross, or badge sniffing, which is liability tornado and not illuminating. In fact, I'm such a bad girl. Like when that policy was handed down at a certain organization I used to work for, I routinely took other people's badges to lunch because I was like, I will not be badge sniffed. And you know darn well I'm working 16, 20 hour days, but I, I just thought it was the dumbest thing ever. I think managers need comfortable shoes. I think risk professionals need to be known and trusted. The, it shouldn't be, it's sort of like community policing. I know I'm mixing all sorts of metaphors here, but if you are intimidated by something that has come into your neighborhood as something bad every time and you don't trust them. And, you know, I'm, I, I know I'm sort of sparking some political angst, but it's true that if this is something that is an object of routine fear and every time you come in, you stop me from what I want to do, you're unfairly mistreating me, you're turning off my devices, you're not letting me have choice and bringing the type of device or phone or laptop or even working where I want to work. If that is their only repeated metric of you, the security privacy uh, ESG professional, then the reaction is going to be the same as you would have in that kind of situation where it always was negative, always was horrible. So instead, I'm not saying pander to the business or pander to the leadership or and certainly don't pander to the dumb ideas that inevitably come with creative people, but come in as a solution person, asking what they need, asking what their goals are, and then balancing it. You know, you can triple your marketing capabilities potentially, but if you're doing that by sneaking into other people's cameras and stealing information, the fine, the disruption to business, the brand hit, and the straight up shame of that you've done that and your brand to your friends and neighbors that you're in that organization that did that can far outstrip the benefits of getting the onesie twosie quarter boost. I know I, I'm with you, right? Because just, do you know what the problem is? It's sometimes I feel like it's, we had this reputation having been in this, you know, in chairs like this for a long time. You, you had the reputation where, well, don't tell security. Right? That was my favorite to hear in a lot of companies. Well, don't tell security because they'll get mad or they won't let us do that, right? Or, oh, don't bring the lawyers in because it's going to hold things up. Sorry, I'm just going to pick on you, but they'll hold up things for weeks, right? And when will be the point, you know, and this is where I, the challenge I have now to my profession is, look, we need to operate and provide that almost like a conscience to the organization in many ways. 
we need to sit down with the business and each business unit and each business leader and ask those questions, just like you mentioned. Go through, hey, where where do you need to be, you know, and how can I help you get there? But more importantly, here's some rules of the road. Here's some guideposts we have along the way. We put in some barriers just to keep us all on the straight and narrow and out of court and at least staying within what I would consider to be a positive impact to the marketplace. What else can we do within that to operate effectively? How else can I help you get to your goals and objectives? And then can I take that same process, repeat it, and go to the next business unit? And you know, I may be looking at an operations team one day, and then I'm out talking to a fleet group in the next one. But the approach needs to be the same. I need to be able to replicate that approach so that the image that people have of the security team, it's consistent. They enable the business, and here's how they do it. They're able to reduce risk by providing this service. They document everything that they're doing and they're open and transparent. That's the other one. And that's my favorite rant is we cannot be the secret squirrel society anymore. Yes, yes. What do you mean short of an internal investigation that's going to go to court? We we need to be open and transparent with, with everything we're doing because we can't, you can't just have people going, well, that's that security magic over in the corner. No, explain to people, here's what we're doing. Here's why you saw that message, that pop-up come up on your machine. Here's why I get upset when you clicked on this link. Here's why your machine was quarantined. Here's why your badge was denied. All of those things we need to be able to explain, but explain it in a way so that the average person, user, employee, contractor in an organization understands the goals and objectives of your team. And this is why you can't use your badge to go into this facility because you don't need to, right? That's on us is how hard is that to do? And I think we've we've missed a lot of that human element. It's because once we get going into the, well, I got to put up my rules and my procedures, my standards, my directives, guidelines, that's awesome. But you forget that there's a human who's actually either going to read it or not. Mostly not. And how do I bring them into this? I read it and I understood it, right? And I actually remember I can't do this, right? And it's not because, well, Tim's team's going to get really mad. No, it's, oh yeah, right. I don't need to go in this building. Perfect. But how do we get there, right? How do I, that's a challenge I have is how do we get where we are today to that space and get people to appreciate it and just accept it as another part of our business? That's the, that's, I think, the challenge for us. I think there's two lines of sort of forward motion I want to question you on. One is we've talked a lot about having particularly publicly traded companies starting to report more on environmental, social and governance ESG metrics. I think security very neatly has always fit into governance in effect. I'll go back to my my uncle's governance of, you know, ladies of the night. This is a this is a wholesome family brand hotel, even though it wasn't. But that that's our brand and this is our rule and blah, blah, blah. I think that's a reportable metric. So that's the upwards metric. And I think the other thing that I'm thinking about is what is the role of storytelling and scenario testing? We do tabletop exercises to imagine there's a massive breach to educate our, our particular senior executives who are quite busy and you want to scenario test a massive ransomware attack, for example, because the worst thing you can do is test the capabilities of your recovery and your governance plans real time. So how do we have like mini storytelling slash tabletopping uh, with business leaders? And then does the work that you're doing help present metrics that are not operational numbers, but actual ESG metrics that we can start to report so that outside and inside organization, people can see who we are and that we're doing a good job? I think we can get there, but it's going to take some effort. From reporting to the metrics from an ESG perspective, I think a lot of 
some of the more forward-thinking security organizations are there, right? They have the opportunity to provide that data and they actually have metrics that they can stand behind. What I'm concerned about is your first ask is the storytelling aspect. And I don't know that we've embraced that completely within security. It's it's hard for most security professionals to talk about our role, our job, without getting into either an enforcement or compliance conversation or a requirements perspective. Well, you folks need to take this training or you need to make sure that you read this policy or did you do this assessment before you got to our project team You know, to conduct a risk assessment? Those are all terrific, but it doesn't tell the story. What it doesn't do is thread the reasons why we need you to do this or, hey, here's some of the successes when I talked to Bob in the other department and we, he went through the same process. This is what Bob and his team did. And it was awesome. We spent like three weeks with them. By the time we had a chance to walk out of Bob's department, it was terrific because not only did we help him with the first project that he had lined up, but did you know we get the chance to work with Bob and his team three months from now when they bring up this really cool thing? That for us, that's what we need to show that dedication to our profession, that we are here to help the business and the excitement that we have by working with each one of the business units to help them be successful. And the role we play, you know, albeit a small one, there still is a role that we play within every organization to help them be successful, but it's how we tell the story. And I agree, Michelle, I don't think, I don't think we've taken the time to step back and what's the story we want to tell? What frame of reference do we want to provide And what's the perspective that we want to give to the team that's listening to the story? How can we engage them in a positive way to bring that message forward so that they're not afraid to come to security? They want to talk to us. It's like, oh, did you get a hold of Tim's team and talk to him? Like I always found my biggest measure of success was when I would get the phone calls at like on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. Hey, Tim, we just just had this great meeting. I was talking to a buddy and, you know, pick a bar and we just came up with this napkin and I got a great idea. Can I get your help? That's when I know I've done my job, right? When as soon as they come out of that bar with a napkin and they're like, oh, we had this great idea. Let's get Tim and his team to take a look at it. Okay, I'm good, right? Because now people realize we're here to help as opposed to shoving the napkin in their pocket and not talking to us until Friday afternoon at four when that application goes live at five. Yeah, it's already launched. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, hey, can you take a look at this? We're launching in an hour. Awesome. Thanks for your help, right? Yeah, and we've already got the, the CEO has made a public statement on this. So he's got ego in the game. Yeah, exactly. The the premier wants this website gone and she it, it has to go up and it's being launched at four o'clock in time. Oh, really? Well, best of luck, right? I, I wish you the best of luck over the weekend. Call me when you when you need some help on Sunday evening, because that's the best I can offer you, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I offer expert witness services at your trial. That's cool. Yeah, we're I mean, we're <laughs> here to recover when it fails. So you give my team a call, right? So but if we can get to that level of storytelling, if we can get to that point of engagement, I think there's such a huge path forward for us that we move out of this really negative perspective or what maybe even now I'm fingers crossed I'm more neutral. Well, we got to get engaged with security because it's in the project fund. Okay, great. I'll take the forced conversation and we'll turn it into a positive one. But wouldn't it be great to get to that bar and a napkin routine where, hey, we got this great idea. Oh, you know what? I'm going to talk to Tim and his crew or, or whoever's running the security show at the time. And when you get that kind of approach, that's what you want to replicate. That type of approach with every business leader, get to that stage, get to that space. That's where you want to get to. That's where I feel like you become a co-inventor, a co-creator. Yeah. And it's, it's fraught with liability. So if you do do that, you may find yourself, you know, at a startup, you know, middle to late life with kids in college when you absolutely should not be doing that. Uh, speaking for a me, but it, it, is, it is because um, once you have co-created and you find that there are 
really similar issues that that pop up again and again and again. And you realize that the storytelling is there, is not there. The ROI has not been clearly articulated. Um, there's a translation problem. And sometimes there's a tool problem that you, it, it's really exciting. And I, and I think to look at the longevity of your career, Tim, too, obviously something keeps you here and it's not, you know, popping shells. <laughs> so what, what is that excitement? Um, yeah, I was going to go with coffee, but that's the easy one. No, it's coffee's good. But I mean, because I had this same question a little while ago and uh, it's my better half. Lisa asked me, hey, what? Good God, you've been doing this for so long. Why? And I had to think about the answer. But one of the things that came to mind right away is this whole gig still excites me to come to work every day. For me, I still like the idea of having those coffee conversations with people, you know, but for me to sit down and go, hey, where are you going with this? And sometimes I have nothing to offer from a security perspective. Does that make sense? Because you'll sit there and they're just like, you know what, buddy, it looks like you got this. You, you, you actually got, you, you're pretty tight on this. I'm good. But I'm still curious. Can you still talk me through this? Or what does it mean to the business? Or can you walk me through it? Because the, I think the curiosity in me is still there. I, it hasn't been beaten out, although many have tried. I still want to come to work and uh, practice the profession that I spent so much time in. And it's amazing when you get a company that, regardless of where you are, like throughout my career, I've had I've worked for lots of places. And to have that one group within a company that say, I, you know what, can we just talk about, I just want to spin an idea by you. I, it's not a security problem. I just want to talk to you about action. You're like, holy crap, this is really cool. I get a chance to look at, you know, whatever this brand new shiny toy is going to be. And I'm like, this is really cool. So that to me has still been the drive. And the other part is the chance to give back. Right. Over the last probably, what, 20 years, I've had a chance to work with just some phenomenal people, like just honest to God, some wizards that I don't, I get some sleep at night now just because I've, I've been working with some super smart people in my career, you know, current position included, just wicked smart folks. And that's what drives me now. You know, my, my whole goal, and I've done it in every job is, can you find me that person who puts their hand up and go, I want your job. Awesome. I'm going to get you there. Right. I, I will actually take the time to get you there. And I've done that in almost every position. Uh, I the, I just left City Calvary and the gentleman who took over from me, It's we spent time together when I was in the role as chief security officer. He was my right-hand man and now he's sitting as chief security officer for the City of Calvary. That's, to me, that's cool, right? Like, yeah. It's such a pleasure. And same same for me. I, when I left Cisco, Harvey Jang, I hired him into Intel. I dragged him over to Cisco with me and now he's the chief privacy officer for Cisco and it's such a pleasure. It, it makes you feel good. But that's that's how it. I mean, for me, that's still the drive, right? It's it's the human element, but now it's from me to others. So this is why I love doing doing podcasts like this, or or the one that you know I've started my own. All the presentations you and I have done. What's it called, Tim? See, he's a security guy. Thank you. Yeah the the podcast I've uh, I've stood up with my great partner Doug Lease. It's called Caffeinated Risk. I think it's a good one too. And so I, I think the the Smarter Markets podcast. The first season really focused on the financial side of the business. And, and of course, and, and these amazing, you know, Robert Friedland, these, these charismatic entrepreneur risk takers. So what you're talking about is so germane across the board. If you're taking, if you're a marketing person and you're doing, you know, flamboyant, interesting, creative marketing, if you're a hedge fund person and you're looking at how much is wheat, well, there's so much creativity going on, you know, even the sponsors of the feast today, the Abex Technologies. How do you absolutely radically transform something as basic as getting the basic supplies for bread 
transferred around the world in a smarter market. And that's what you're saying is training the people, telling the stories, recognizing the standards, and then really being a radical sort of intrapreneur and entrepreneur on top of that as a sole force for good. That's how I'm summarizing Tim. <laughs> well, and, in and some. That, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Wow, it's, if you could just do that for my annual review, that'd be awesome. I'd, I'd appreciate that. It's just, you know, what I find is that now, I think now more than ever, we're at this point, there's this inflection point, and we're, we've been seeing it come toward us in the security profession for probably about four or five years. And now we're, I think now we're there. And the pandemic proved a lot of it, right? It demonstrated what we could do with a technology perspective, but it also, we had to sit back and go, wait a second. Now we've, we've got a few more threats we got to worry about. We've got, what about, what about this now? Do, how, how do I secure this? Or now it's like, I, I, this is awesome, but you know, but then now you bring up the question, can I split tunnel with my device at home and have my home network? And like, wait, wait a second, let's, let's take a look at that. Or how do I safely come back to work from a physical security perspective, knowing that as we try to find what used to be normal and now we have a new normal, how do I do that? What's, what's Tim's persona look like now? If I'm only going to come to the office two days or three days a week out of five. What's my travel look like? So I, I think we've got this amazing opportunity ahead of us as security professionals to offer so much value to every organization we work within, because now it's on us to really talk to the business about here's the risk, but here's the risk and you need to make this decision. And we're good either way. Like I always joke with my executives and I, I joke with my team is that, look, I'm okay with whatever path you want to take because I got another meeting to go to. Just sign here if you want to accept it. Oh, oh you want some help reducing it? Awesome. I'm good to help. But either way, we're going to make a decision. And once we do that, I'm good if you want to go ahead and I'm good if you want to get some help. But if you are going to go ahead and you're going to accept the risk, and if you're going to run down the hallway with scissors in your hand, that's awesome. I'll be right behind you with the first aid kit because that's my job, right? But it's giving people the freedom to make that decision because for the longest time, we didn't. You'd said it before, Michelle, that earlier on is that, look, this whole idea, we said no. Yeah, we. I pulled that stunt off at least a couple of times in my career. Fortunately, didn't get fired for either one of them. But when you put up your hand and block a major project like the Olympics and say, no, we, we need to fix this technology first before we roll ahead. And then you get the flight to Montreal to go explain why it was a no. It was interesting to you know experience that. Frightening as hell, but it was interesting to experience it. Because, I mean, it was we were part of the Olympic program for Bell Canada, and we were working on one of the platforms to ensure we had communications to the Olympics, and we found a flaw. Uh, Doug Lease, the gentleman I do my podcast with, him and his team found this flaw. And when we identified the flaw, it was it, this one was a showstopper. And to actually stop the show. And that's a big show. Yeah. Wow. That was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I guess I'm bringing my badge with me for the meeting. Okay. Let's, let's see what happens. But we came back and it was awesome, but you don't get to do that too often in your career. And there's reasons why, like there, you know, I look back on that and we could have done that such a better way. We could have been more thoughtful in our approach. We could have been more engaged in, in the way that we addressed it, you know, and say you just put up the heavy hand and oh, we're going to, we're going to stop doing this. You know, you learn from that. And from that point forward, it, it was on me and I took it personally is that from that point forward, no, we're moving this way. And that's when I started changing my approach from a risk perspective. Instead of just saying, this is bad, you need to go fix it. To, hey, can we understand what really is bad from your perspective? And what did you want me to help to try and fix? Big mindset change. And it's something I embraced grudgingly and now teach. So, I want to underline sort of the theme underneath that, Tim, because I think it's very powerful. I think we all learn well, I know we all learn when we make terrible mistakes in our careers, but what you're talking about is not a terrible mistake. You made the right 
call based on the fact and your specialty. And you've, you sort of did what the traditional, um, I'll call them now old fashioned security professional would do is you dive in with flames coming out of your butt and you're like, ah, here I come to save the day. And the tech, you were right. It was a flaw and it could have really had impact to a lot of different things and people and even safety and security of, you know, who are, you know, the world's most gifted athletes, right? And and some of our most wholesome heroes, right? So it wasn't a mistake what you did, but I love that you picked up on, I could have done it so much better. I could have done it in a communication style. So your specialty was bang on the nose, but the the aura around that, that's not your specialty area. You're not a psychologist. You're not an HR professional you know, on a communications person, you know, all of that stuff is. And so what you're saying is to, to be living and, and succeeding in a smarter market, you have to look around that aura, not just your specialty area. That's what I'm picking up from that story. No, absolutely. And I think that was part of it, right? And it's, I mean, the technology was going to be used to carry voice transmission over IP. So it was, you know, early iterations of voice over IP. And we, we found the flaw in it. Doug found this, you know, horrific flaw. And then we, we found ways to remediate it. But the lesson that, you know, that lesson taught a lot. The other, my other favorite lesson, I talk about this often, is when I took over the government of Alberta role as chief information security officer. And I think my first hundred, you know, the typical, you, you know, the drill, first hundred days, I'm just going to walk around and learn stuff. I'm just going to get, well, my head's going to expand, but I'm going to get all sorts of information crammed in there. Well, great. So after my first three months there, I, I had this brilliant idea that one of the things we needed to put in was a logon banner. Pretty straightforward back in the time, virtually not required anymore, but it was, I thought at the time, because it was an audit recommendation that I had written when I was with the Auditor General's office, I figured I should get this one off the deck. No big deal. Yeah, I thought, hey, this is an easy one, right? So no big deal. I actually asked somebody, can you show me the change request system so I can create the change request? Oh, sure, boss, here you go. And here I am. I'm I'm typing away. I'm saving an administrator a whole bunch of work. I'm going to do my own change request and got it ready to go. And it got submitted in. It got, went to change board, got approved. Honest to God, two sentences. That's all it was. And it was in English. I didn't have to worry about French. Just in English, two sentences, ready to go. Got it ready for change review, went up to um, Assistant Deputy Minister Council, died a quick death. Because what did Tim not do? Didn't go around and ask labor, the unions, justice, social general, legal. And so out of that experience, it took me 18 months to launch a two-sentence logon banner. And by the time it was reviewed and completed, three words changed out of the original 36. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I could count how many months per word was changed. What's the ROI per word? Oh my God. So it, how many FTEs were paid for that? I, uh, yeah. So again, the lessons, right. That, you know, you can, I, you remind yourself of is what, what did you miss? And that's what I spent another, you know, you spend more time going back to, all right. So now what, what have I done in other organizations? I have spent an inordinate amount of time in every organization since then, just talking to people, right? Whether, whether I was, you know, flying around the globe, talking to different clients as a consultant or sitting as a chief or a VP. Yeah. Those lessons you learned the hard way, but uh, yeah, honest to God, and you would love this. The, do you know who fought the hardest was our legal department against it? Of course. Because they think they own the words, like legal people own the words. 
a mother of God, are you kidding me? Just they said, but, but Tim, you didn't ask us to write it for you. I, why should I? I borrowed it from somebody else's log on banner profile that's been out there for a decade. This was easy. No, it was just, yeah, I, uh, it, it, I struggled with that one because that I thought was a slam dunk, right? And it was an audit requirement that I had written, right? As part of the team that assessed the audit, the government of Alberta. So I'm like, this has been presented in the, you know, the legislative assembly. I got to get this thing done in three years. Well, I just met the target on that one, right? I was, I was close on that one. So. But it's amazing that when you you walk through all this stuff and you you rack up, I, I honest to God, I think I've made more mistakes than successes in my career. Although my mom would say different, I've just learned right that from all of those failures and the mistakes that you make, it makes you a better professional and it, it teaches you the humility we need in our role. And it goes back to that whole you know we talked about it earlier, the human element. We are all human. You clicked on a link. Yeah, I screwed up for 18 months on two sentences. And we all make those mistakes. But the lessons from that impact the way we should move forward from that point on. It really drives home the message that the human element of security is the one that's going to be the hardest to learn, hardest to master. And when you do, the opportunities to make the next organization better from your experience, that's you asked why I stick around. That's one of the reasons why, too. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Smarter Markets and our continuing examination of digital identity and its role in building a trust-based economy. Please help us get the word out about the podcast by leaving your ratings and reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Your support and engagement means the world to us, as does your help spreading the word about Smarter Markets via social media and word of mouth. On behalf of ABEX, I'm Michelle Dennity. See you again next week. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets. For free episode transcripts, visit smartermarketspod.com. Smarter Markets is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Smarter Markets, its producers, sponsors and hosts, Eric Townsend and Abex Technologies, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Markets.